Welcome back to the Win Big Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, coming in hot. As always, I'm Zane, here with Tyler and Steven, podcasting live from the garage. I want to send a special thanks to Chris Briggs for popping on with us last week, and we appreciate all of your continued support. Be sure to like, share, and follow the podcast to stay tuned for all of our amazing upcoming guests, as well as our all-new Thursday Thoughts podcast dropping soon. Our show is brought to you today by our new sponsor, Valet Training Gloves. Head over to ValetSportingGoods.com. Tell John and Dave those win big boys sent you. Valet, train like a pro. Do we have a special treat for you tonight? Tyler Gillum, entering his 12th season as assistant at South Mountain Community College, entering his fourth year as the head coach for the Savannah Bananas, still on his quest to reach one million people, the rock star in cowboy boots himself, Tyler Gillum. I got you. Tyler, how you doing tonight, man? What's up, man? I'm doing awesome. Just put little man down for for the night and uh, just hanging out, man. Good, man. Where do we have you at from night? Oh, I'm in the garage right now because <laughs> little man was chasing me around the house. Yes, sir. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> will, yeah, so I'll... I've got a couch outside of my garage, so I was like, I got to go out here. He's going to be yelling at me. He's got, <laughs> in this last week, he's... Um, He's got this thing where if I'm not in the room, he doesn't want to go to sleep. So we fought that a little bit tonight. Yes, sir. I know that game all too well. I've got eight yeah. and five, and I have to lay down with the five-year-old till he falls asleep. Then I have to go into the eight-year-old room, lay with him for a little bit, and then I might get to bed about 10 o'clock. And so, yeah, we've got to, got to make the rounds, man. I get it. How old no the, doubt, man. No I, doubt. How old is the little man? He is almost 18 months, yeah. So he was quarantine baby, born September 2020, and he's been awesome. He's running around like he's really starting to get into baseball and like understanding what's going on. So we've, you know, college baseball has been on TV the last this past weekend. And so I've been watching it and he'll stare at the TV and he'll clap and go ball, 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 ball. So nice. he's getting that. <laughs> nice. That's pretty that's cool. awesome. So how was the yeah. whole how was the whole quarantine baby thing, man? I heard that's uh, that was a challenging experience. Yeah, um, well, so we had him September 2020. Um, when we had him, nobody else could be in the room or be at the hospital. It was just us. And so we were there um, for two days and then um, came home. And I was teaching from, you know, I was teaching from home. I was, I, I run our exercise science department here at South Mountain Community College. And so I had to flip all of my classes and make those classes online. So I was teaching from home zoom um my wife is a nurse but since she had camden she's just been working from home or not working um she's done some nursing like um charting stuff on online for a a company but um it's definitely interesting i think for him like he wasn't around a whole lot of people for like the first probably eight months you know um because we were kind of stuck inside on a lot of ways so I think that's been interesting, but over the last year, um, going to Savannah, um, driving back home, you know, he's, he got to be around a bunch of my buddy's kids. And so, um, it's been good for him. I think the last time we were home for Christmas, this was a big thing. So when we were home for Christmas, he wasn't walking yet. So he was probably at like 14 months and not walking yet. And, um, he got around all those kids that was his age and they're all running around. And he's like, man, I got to figure this thing out. So now yeah. he's sprinting everywhere, you know, so he's, awesome. he's, he's gone. 
That's awesome, man. Um, you said uh, you've been, you're in your 12th season at South Mountain. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I've lost count. Let's see here. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is number 12. This is number 12. It feels like I just moved here back in fall of 2011 uh, just the other day. But, yeah, 12 years. That's awesome, man. Uh, did, y'all, did y'all get some ball in this weekend? How'd y'all do? Yeah, we actually won two. Um, we've got a young group, inexperienced group, even our older guys. They haven't played that much. So um, this this year has been kind of back and forth. We've had some really, really good days. We had a weekend where we beat three top 25 teams, and then uh, we've had some days where it's kind of gotten a little bit ugly. So um, we're growing. That's, that's the thing. It's a hardworking group, and um, they're competing they're getting better, but it's just a young group, and we're kind of taking our lumps, kind of just thrown, got thrown into the fire, really. So uh, it's been good challenge, and that's kind of what I told our other assistants is like, hey, you know, this is going to be a really challenging year with as much inexperience as we have. So, you know, it's going to be trying at times, but it's going to be a good challenge for us to be like, hey, you know, we got to keep working with these guys and keep teaching these guys, and uh, let's see how it turns out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a question because, um, you know, you sometimes you have those inexperienced younger groups and then sometimes you do have that experienced group that's had a lot of playing time. Kind of um, kind of go into detail a little bit on on those differences and how you kind of approach that. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, back in 2018, we had one of our most experienced groups. That's one of the best teams that's ever come through South Mountain. We we broke the conference record for wins that year. I think in total, I think we had 46 wins on the year. Um, really, really experienced group. I mean, infield, outfield, we had four starters that were returning starters from the year before. And, um, you know, those guys, those guys were really easy to coach in a lot of ways. Um, I can always always kind of pinpoint it with teams that are like that. It's um, you can tell those guys one time and they get they they figure it out really quick. Um, they have their routines down and it's easy for them to um, kind of get in the flow of things and get into the get into the arena and compete. With the younger group, it's different. So example would be on Tuesday we've got a freshman that's starting for us. He's really talented. And this is his third time starting game two of a doubleheader. And um, the first couple times our pitching coach kind of held his hand a little bit like, hey, it's the sixth inning. You should probably go eat something, get yourself ready, probably about in the eighth or ninth, start stretching, start moving around because you only got 25 minutes to get prepared before game two. And um so this game, he kind of left him alone to see what would happen. He ended up actually being late playing catch. We had to delay the game 10 minutes. So that's really the difference between, um, you know, those older groups that are experienced. They've kind of been through the fire. They understand the routines. They know they know what college baseball is about. They know what it looks like. And, um, you know, this year we got this inexperienced group in our first win. Like they didn't even know how to shake hands on the mound in between the mound <laughs> and second base. They all were just kind of looking at each other like, yay, you know. So it's kind of the, yeah. the blind leading the blind because we don't have those um, sophomore returners that are position players to kind of be like, hey, this is what it looks like, boys. This is how it's done. So um, from from that standpoint, there's been a lot, a lot of teaching and reteaching with this group um, more than anything. 
The other thing I think that's that's really key when you have a, a you know like these guys next year, like the foundation is going to be really good, and we're going to get to get um, teach kind of some higher level material. You know, even with some of my infielders, like my whole infield group is new. My entire infield group is new, and so I've had to do a lot of all of my you know my catch play programs, my short hop progressions. So there, there's things that they, they, I still haven't taught them yet because I'm still working on some of their short hop detail, like attention detail stuff. Um, so I, I think with an older group and a younger group, it's the attention to detail that separates those guys. Yeah, that's awesome. That's right up your alley too, working with those infielders. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it, really just the catch play piece and the short hop progressions, like the details of it. When yes, you sir. get – um, like we've got a guy, we've got two guys. We got one that's, um, we got two guys that formerly played for us infielders, Cole Kaler and Torn Craig. Cole Kaler's the starting second baseman at Texas A&M right now. He's a leadoff hitter starting second baseman. So he's one of the best catch play guys that I've had. So is Torn Craig. They were catch play partners. Torn was the starting shortstop at Long Beach. Uh, last year and so uh, those guys were unbelievable on the attention to detail and uh, it showed we were second in the nation in fielding percentage their sophomore year Um, you know and so that attention to detail is the biggest thing like that's what kids need to do is like really pay attention to the really minute little things that make all the difference yeah man hey that that, that's great to hear and and sounds like you got some great success coming your way um Quick question for me, you know, what kind of things are you looking for when you're assessing talent when you have such a young group coming in? Um, well, early on, like with the with the freshman group that we have, a lot of those guys are new. So um, probably the first month, first six weeks, we let them kind of do their own thing a lot and we just evaluate. Um, we're looking for athleticism. We're looking for guys that already play kind of with their hair on fire they they play aggressively um, guys like kind of looking at baseball IQ what do they know what do they not know um, and and that can be just very little things like running the bases you know picking up base coaches just having a feel of when to go first to third um, when to steal how can they pitch uh, pick up tendencies we give them a lot of freedom in the fall to run um, my goal in the fall is 10 still attempts each game and so that's really hard to get to a lot of times so when we're playing fall games it might be a nine inning game i tell them our goal is to get to 10 still attempts and so my 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 thinking is uh, we're going to teach them the process of stealing and they're going to learn when they get thrown out why they got thrown out and they're going to learn from it and be better by the time we get to the spring so um, we play 20 games in the fall, so we get to evaluate those guys a lot. We keep quality ABs a lot, quality a- at-bats. Our best quality at-bat guys are the guys that produce the most, um, if you look at the other stats too as well. So um, we we kind of hound that a lot. But a big piece is um, taking care of your daily routines, who can be disciplined, showing up every single day, taking care of your classwork, taking care of the weight room, nutrition, eating healthy, um, and then all those little things. The, the guys that can do all of the little things, um, and they're really good with time management, they, they've got some discipline, those are the guys that play. Even even though if they're less talented, 
those those guys find a way to 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 play and get on the field just because they do all the small things right um like right now um you know we've got we've got a guy that um he's under talented in a lot of different ways like he's not going to run the fastest he's not going to hit any home runs uh, but he does all the little things right every single day. Um, he's going to be an energy giver. He's going to execute all the things within an offense, hit and run, bunt. He can drag for a hit. He can move a guy over. Uh, he's going to have a really good two-strike approach. And then, you know, he's never going to miss a sign. He's going to have – he's going to be 4-0 student. Like a lot of these things, I know I know what I'm going to get out of him every day where, um, you know, in a lot of years we'll, we'll have some highly talented kids that have a lot of tools, maybe draft tools. But when you put them in a game, you know, some things don't show up. It might be they miss signs or they swing and miss um, at the plate. They don't have a good two-strike approach. They can't bunt. Um you know, it might be they, they don't put themselves in positions. You know, I've had I've had trouble with one one player um, with that this year is like um, we have a specific infield positioning scheme that we use with our infielders. And it's pretty basic. Um, I've really had nobody struggle with understanding it until this year. And so, um, you know, that's one of those situations. And so, um you know, a lot of the guys, like if there's any young kids that listen to this podcast or take anything away, it's really just being disciplined with your time management, doing all the little things that nobody else wants to do. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Um, it goes back to that, you know, that kid that you were talking about being, you know, being an OKG, you know, being, uh, that's it, that's it you know, and uh, set, you know, your older guys that have, you know, you have been there the year or two years, um, when these new guys come in are they doing a really good job of setting that, setting that expectation and setting that example, um, for, for the younger kids coming in for you? Yeah. I mean, usually it is that way. Um, this year was that unique year that we didn't have any of those guys to show the ropes to, you know, I mean, in the past, like infield wise, like I could have left co Kaler and Torin Craig, um, you know, by themselves, I didn't even have to show up to infield practice if I didn't need to because they knew everything. They did, they worked all my infield camps with me, like they could run all of the infield routines, drills. They knew all the terminology. Um, they got to a point and a level. Now these guys have tremendous um, aptitude. Like they're learners. They're smart kids. You know, so like. I tell them something once and they get it. We move to the next thing, you know, and not everybody's like that. So not every player's like that. So we got to learn as coaches that how to teach different players, you know, and how, how to make it stick in a lot of different ways. And those are those guys that I could have them lead catch play or short hop progressions and they'd be money. And this year um, we, we returned only 1% of our at-bats from last year. So 99% of our at-bats from last year are gone. They, they went to different universities. So um, a lot of kids came in and it was, you know, they were all new to the program. So it's been a lot of teaching. There wasn't anybody to kind of show them the ropes per se. Does that work out better in your favor um, in the sense that, you know, from day one you can show them how you want it done and, to, you know, especially, you know, somebody coming in that's, you know, not necessarily green, but somebody that you can, you give them from day one and just show them, this is how we're going to do it. And this is, you know, from moving forward, this is how it's going to be done. Does that work out to your benefit in a sense? Um, 
I would say no from the standpoint of like I'd rather have some guys returning um, yeah. just because <laughs> <For sure. laughs> the 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 truth of the truth of the matter is this if, if you if uh, a good or average team is always going to be just coach led all the time the great teams are player led the great teams the coaches set standards and then the players hold those standards. Absolutely. And that's usually held by those best players that have been around the program. You know, it's tougher at junior college because we are two years. And so, you know, as soon as you get guys really where you want them to be, they, they transfer to a Division One school, which is part of the thing, which is no problem with me. You know, I'm, I'm pumped to get those guys to those, the, the Division One level. So it's not, yes, sir. it's not that big of a thing to me. But um, – the truth is like I'd rather have some guys around that have been through the program that can tell the stories and say, Hey, young freshmen, like, Hey, this is how, you know, this is how we get the field ready. This is how uh, we, we work in the weight room. These are some of the little things. Um, things just go so much smoother when you have those guys that, that can lead when there's nobody, then um, there's a lot more teaching of the little things. There's like this year it's been just, um, a lot of little things that you would assume that would be known, um, you know, aren't, aren't getting done. I, I, you would, you would say, but usually in the past you would have an older guy. So it's just, uh, we have a rule at South mountain. It's called the rule of a hundred. So if you haven't told them a hundred times, then they don't know it. So we're like on number 52 right now. So we, we've got about 48 more times to go. So <laughs> That's awesome. hey, it's yeah. so funny you say that. Cause my dad was a coach growing up and, he used to always tell me, never assume. As soon as you assume something, they're going to mess up. And, that's it. Uh, and, and that's so crazy because it, it, it just makes so much sense. But I know I, I, I appreciate what you said because coming from where I, I give hitting lessons and work with youth, um, it, it's, it's not only hitting lessons or fielding lessons, whatever. It's trying to educate them of, of when you step on a campus, um, what that coach is looking for. And it's all those little bitty things and how you carry yourself and how you go about the little things. I tell them all the time, if a coach can trust you with the little things, he'll start giving you more and more on your plate. And it's just, that's it. You know, yes, you would love to have a guy that's going to bat 500 and drop 20 bombs with the fact of the matter that doesn't come along all the time. So I, I try to preach them all the time. It's the little things that add up to the big things. Yeah, there was uh, somebody the other day that said um... – um, you know, somebody was grappling about the coach always plays favorites and, and a guy said, yeah, I do play my favorites. My favorites are the guys that show up on time. They, they get there early, yeah. they stay late, <laughs> they pick up after themselves, you know, they're yes sir, no sir. They're respectful. They play hard. Those are my favorite guys. Right. And so, um, you know, I think there's that saying, you kind of go back to like the last dance and Michael Jordan, or, um, you know, there's a saying that, a lot of people that are high, high achievers don't like people that just kind of go through the life that's like kind of mediocre and they just go through the motions and so on and so forth. Like the the guys that just like going through the motions and, and, and kind of that lower level standard, they don't like to be challenged by those people that are high standard people. And so uh, a lot of that, a lot of those things kind of go back and forth. It's um, you know, those high standard guys, they want everything to be perfect, but those low standard guys, they just, they just want to like get it done and go through the, you know, get through it. And so there's a lot of headbutting that happens within those situations sometimes. So, 
my biggest my biggest advice I got when I was going to college was find the five hardest working people and hang out with those guys. And so um, for me, I, I came out of high school and I was I weighed about 150 pounds. Um, we didn't have a football team, so we didn't have a weight room. And so um, I was in the I was behind in the weight room when I went to Seminole State. And so when I went there, everybody was bigger and stronger than me. So I had to work my butt off. So I just hung out with the guys that pretty much lived in the weight room. And, um, you know, one of those guys, you guys might've heard of him, Evan Gaddis, Mr. Astro, uh, Texas boy. I played with him at Seminole state and he was a beast in the weight room, by the way, too. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> he turned out yeah. to be a pretty good player. He's all right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he used to swing a 35 inch wood, like it was a toothpick and just hit absolute tanks at practice. <laughs> that, that dude was different. Boys. You're, you're over there trying to different. barely getting 32 around. <laughs> hey, hey, this is, hey, that's exactly what I was doing. Hey, I'm telling you, we were, um, there's, I, I remember this really fondly. I was, um, my fr- so I was a freshman. Gaddis was coming off of knee surgery, and so he was a redshirt freshman. This was my freshman fall, 2000, uh, fall of 2005. And we set up the breaking ball machine in the cage. And so it, it was like, I don't know, 70 feet. And, and, like, it was a hard slider. It was probably like 79 to probably like 83. Like, it was a hard slider. And so I remember getting in there and I am battling boys. I am like hoping I foul pitches off. Like it's tough. And like I get out, Gaddis gets in and this dude is hitting absolute missiles to the back of the cage, like the back (laughs) right part of the cage, like exactly where you would want to hit it. I was just, I remember looking and going, man, that's different right there, boys. That's different. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, he was one of those guys that I hung out with in the weight room. Another guy named like Kevin Thulin. He played at Kentucky. Sawyer Carroll played at Kentucky. Played Triple A ball with the Padres. Like, there was this group of guys that just kind of lived in the weight room, and we have that setup at Seminole where we have an indoor complex, and it's just us. It's got a weight room. It's got cages in it, and so you just kind of live up there, and um, that really helped me get playing time because. That year I went to Seminole, we had 12 draft and follows. So this is back in the back in the day when the draft was 50 rounds. And usually guys would get drafted in those late rounds and then go to school. But that organization, whoever drafted it, let's say it was the Astros drafted you, they had your rights until the next year. And so we had 12 of those guys that got drafted, but they came to school and, um, yeah, Tyler Gillum wasn't one of those guys that got drafted. So I was uh, actually so we have we have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. So Zane, Zane, you you know you've heard of my high school coach Eddie Collins. Who, yes, sir. Uh, you know I was about to he, get into that. Yeah. So like Coach Collins, like Coach Collins saved my life. Like that guy, that guy is he. He taught me how to be a man in a lot of ways. He taught me how to work. He taught me the game of baseball. Um, but like the guy I looked up to the most when I was going through my recruiting process, um, I had, I had some JUCOs that, that gave me offers, but I always, I, I just wanted to go to Seminole, like Seminole at that time. Um, if you look at the tradition back in the nineties, you know, they, they were winning a, like 
they they were winning like 80 games a year. That's when you didn't have any, you know, limitations on playing games. They they were going to the World Series every year. Um, and so anyway, I started working out at Seminole when I was a junior. So I would go up there and I would lift with those guys and um, I would hit with those guys. So anyway, I, I'm recruited by some of these other junior colleges, but I just want to go to Seminole. And so I, the reason why is I thought they worked the hardest. They won and they worked the hardest. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm not scared to compete. I'll go there and compete. I know I'm going to get better here. So anyway, my head coach, Coach Collins, who I respected the most, he tried to talk me out of it. He was like, hey, like, there's a good chance you're probably not going to play. You know, it's there's going to be a lot of draft guys there. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, I, I'm not scared to go get in the arena and throw some punches and see what happens. And the only reason why I got some playing time when I was there, my my freshman year, I think I got 10 starts. And then my sophomore year, I ended up getting like 40 starts. Um, half of those at short, the other at like third, some at second. And so – Anyway, the the only reason was just, like, I had to work harder than everybody. In my two years at Seminole, I, I never missed class or was late for class for two years. Because if you were late or missed class, you, you had to run, and the whole team would run. And so running consisted of one time we ran 72 poles as a team. Um, one time we ran 13 miles as a team. Um, yeah, so, like, it wasn't, like, some little running stuff if you messed up. So – that's the only reason why I played was I just had to do all the little things right. And, um, because it wasn't, I was going to out hit, hit, out hit Evan Gaddis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's that man. That's fantastic. Um, how much of you playing for coach Collins have you taken into like you being a coach? How much has he inspired you and been, you know, instrumental in, in your growth as a, as a coach and as a man? Yeah. So a lot of people ask me like, you know, when, when did you know you wanted to coach or, you know, like, how did you know you, you were going to be a coach and all of that? And so I've known I was going to coach since my sophomore year of high school. So at that time, that freshman sophomore year was a big transition kind of in my life of, um, you know, I was just going through some stuff. And so like coach Collins, like baseball, lot of baseball, going to the ball field, like that, that was kind of my sanctuary. Like it saved me in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, baseball's the only thing I've really ever known. Like it's, it's just kind of what it is. And so coach Collins did a lot of things for me, just like he was always there. He was always going to push me, he always held me to a higher standard. Um, he didn't let me, you know, slide on anything. Um, and so he kind of changed my life in that way. And so like, I, I always kind of looked up to that and was like, man, you know, like if I can be half the coach, Coach Collins was, you know, and, um, you know, I'll be doing pretty good. And so a lot of the things that I take with him uh, from him is just we're we're a small school in Oklahoma. It's a 2A high school, Latta high school. Um, you know, we have 25 guys come out and play baseball every year. Um, you don't make cuts. If you can breathe, you're, you, you can breathe and you're not going to kill somebody. You're going to make the team. So, you know, where is this again? I might, I might have some eligibility <laughs> yeah. left. Yeah. Eight Oklahoma, baby. 17,000 people. Ada, yeah, Oklahoma. So, That's awesome. <laughs> yep. So small town right outside of Ada, it's Lat Oklahoma. So small two a school and coach Collins coached there for 40 plus years. Um, in 2020, 
he broke the national wins record um, for high school baseball coaches, and that was 2,100. I think he finished with 2,100 and 26 wins um, total wow. in his career. So wow. crazy, unbelievable, wow. right? That's so, awesome, man. You know, um, you know, you ask him, and he's going to say, I had really good players, and um, we had really good support of the high school. And, you know, he's going to give credit to everybody else. And uh, truth of the matter is, man, like, that guy showed up and worked every day. And so that's what I saw, you know. Like, you know, Zane, we were talking about, you know, kids and, like, our, our kids watching us and, and mimicking what we do. And that's kind of what Coach Collins, like, you show up to the baseball field every day, Coach Collins is working on the field. Yes, you know, he's edging, he's watering, uh, he's mowing. And, you know, like he's he's not going to let anybody outwork him. So that was like my first representation. That second piece of what I was getting in was we're a small school, but we would go compete against six, eight, six, eight teams. So we would get in six, eight team or six, eight tournaments in the spring and we'd go win those tournaments. And so um, it was kind of instilled to us. that It doesn't matter how who whoever's in the other dugout. He used to always say, I don't care if the New York Yankees are in the dugout, in the other yeah. dugout. They they put their pants on one leg at a time just like you do. So, um, you know, just kind of get in there and fight and see what happens. It was always, you know, just res- respect whoever's in that other dugout, you know, but also don't fear anybody. You know, you can get in the fight. One thing that One thing that really, really instilled me from a competitive standpoint was – my freshman year, my freshman fall, we were um, we graduated the year before. Lada graduated eleven seniors. They played in the state finals. They were really good, and so they graduated eleven seniors. And you guys know, like when you graduate eleven seniors at a small school, it's like, man, the cupboard's probably going to be bare the next year, right? Yeah, no so, doubt. no doubt. No doubt. Um, so that was kind of. Uh, the expectation of a lot of people, especially those seniors that graduated, that all they would do is tell all of us, like, you guys are going to suck next year, you know? And so it honestly, it kind of pissed a lot of us off and was like, okay, we'll see, you know? So my freshman year, we only had three seniors and, and two of them started the rest junior sophomores. And then a couple of us freshmen that played and, going into that year, there wasn't very much high expectations. And so we get into the fall and we're pretty good. We're young, but we're really good. And so we start beating up on people and like we're run rolling everybody. And so it got to a point that about halfway through the season, coach Collins like realized like, Hey, this team's really good. Um, even though they're young. And so like, I need to challenge these guys because they're just kind of beating up on everybody. And so halfway through the year, the standard was if you don't run roll a team in five innings, we're running after this game's over. And so we would run, we would run, we'd run roll somebody, but it would be the sixth inning. Like, ah, you didn't run roll them in the fifth. Let's go run some poles boys. And so that was automatically the standard of like, Hey, you guys are better than everybody else. It's not just, you're trying to beat that team. You're so much better than them. The standard is you should run roll that team every year, uh, every game. And so um, that kind of, I don't know, that that's always stuck with me. And we ended up winning a state championship that year. We went 33-0. and 0, 
and we weren't supposed to be worth a crap. And so that was always like, I always loved that underdog story, not supposed to be very good. And, and, um, you know, go get in the fight, go work hard. Um, one thing about coach Collins teams, all of his teams, we always got better towards the end. Like there might be a couple games here and there where we might not play very good early, but we always got we we were always a lot better once we got to the end of the season. And I got a you know I played with some great guys. We ended up winning four state championships when I was in high school. And um, you know, That's Coach awesome. Collins, you know everybody, you know he's got all the wins. He's got like thirteen state championships. But that dude taught me a lot more about life than he ever did baseball. And he taught me a lot about baseball. Yes, sir. That's absolutely fantastic. I've heard nothing but amazing things about him, and then. I can only imagine what it what it was like to, to play for a man like that. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, he he held those standards pretty high. Yeah, that's 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 golden man. That's that's the stuff that we like to hear. Um, let's. Uh, how did you land? So how did you get the job at South Mountain? How did how did a boy from Oklahoma get that job? Yeah, so when I was at Seminole, when I was playing at Seminole, Seminole's tradition is to come to Arizona during spring break and play, um, you know, four or five junior colleges out here in Arizona and go see all the spring training complexes. So when I was at Seminole, we actually came out here to play my freshman year, and the first game I ever played in Arizona was at South Mountain. And so um, the both weekends – my freshman year or both spring breaks, my freshman spring break and my sophomore spring break are the best two weekends I ever hit in college baseball. So I thought Arizona is the coolest place ever. Cause I could hit when I came to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't know. I always, I fell in love with it. I thought, ba- you know, it was baseball heaven. It was always great weather. You had all the spring training complexes within like a 45 minute radius. And so, Basically, how it all happened, that was my first representation of what Arizona is about, what Phoenix is about. I went to East Central in Ada. It's in my hometown, D2 school. Um, and I went there knowing that I could jump onto the coaching staff afterwards and get my master's paid for because I could be a grad assistant. So they had a grad assistant program. That's a master's of education with a emphasis in sports administration. And so I knew I wanted to get that. I knew I I could get that paid for. I was a full financial aid kid. My parents didn't make any money. And so I I could have school paid for and I get my master's right away. And and East Central doesn't have a full-time paid assistant. So I knew I I could get my master's paid for and I would get a lot of responsibility right off the bat. So as soon as I finished playing at East Central, I took the recruiting, the NCAA recruiting test the next week, and I was in a recruiting car headed down to Dallas, headed to Texarkana, headed to Enid. I was going to all these places and recruiting right away at 23 years old, and I was a recruiting coordinator. And so um, that was really good for me to get kind of thrown into the fire. I was coaching third base at 23. Um, I, had the in, I had the infielders at 23 years old. So, um, definitely screwing all of those things up, you know, but, uh, it was, it was great learning experience, you know, um, to be able to do that after those, those two years at East central, I finished my master's degree and, you know, I was, I was trying to get them to, um, 
put together and the head coach at the time was trying to get them to put together a full-time paid position. And so um, it didn't happen. And so basically what I came up with was in my head is I needed to go to the best place where I could learn the most and make the most connections. So I, where can I learn the most and where can I network? And so I thought that was Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't know, I didn't think there's, I still don't think there's a better place in the country that you can go meet more baseball people, whether it's baseball heaven year round in one area, everybody comes here to recruit. I'd be connected to every level of baseball from high school JUCO, NAI, D3, D2, D1, Pro Bowl. I'm connected to every level at South Mountain. So my my vision at that time was I just we just finished our season. It was May, May of 2011. And um, I sent out emails to every junior college coach in the Valley of Phoenix. So there's seven of us JUCOs in the Valley. And so I sent, sent emails out and said, hey, two weeks from now, I'm going to drive out to Phoenix. If you have an opening on your coaching staff, I'd love to interview for it. I'm, I'm coming to Phoenix. So I basically told everybody, I'm coming. So, like, somebody's going to take me. I'm coming to Phoenix. <laughs> um, and so uh, I wanted to be at South Mountain because I had that connection. And my Seminole coaches were good friends with the head coach at South Mountain, who is still Todd Easton. Um, and so anyway, Todd, um, Todd got back to me and said, Hey, I've got an opening if you'd like to interview. And then there was two other schools that had openings and I set up interviews with those guys. And so I drove 17 hours straight out here. Um, really had no plan. I have like a cousin of a cousin of a cousin their grandma lives out here <laughs> and so like I, I i slept i slept on her couch for two nights um i, I met that person one time at a, a, a family reunion when i was like 10 or something <laughs> close so, enough right close enough. Yeah, yeah so i drove i drive 17 hours out here um i interview with all three of those people and and me and todd at south mountain um, we just kind of hit it off. You know, we have a lot of the same philosophies. Um, you know, I wanted to be there, but, you know, I, I didn't know if there was a spot. And so anyway, um, it worked out with him. On my way home, driving back to Oklahoma, he called me and was like, hey, uh, I want to offer you this spot. If you're interested, I don't have any money. Um, and I said, that's fine. I'll figure out how to make ends meet. Um, you know, I've worked field maintenance my whole life. You know, we always talked about Coach Collins working on the field. I told you guys Coach Collins would work harder than everybody on the field. We, we would, when I was in high school, we would work on the field almost as much as we would practice. Our field was legit. Like, it looked so good. He had, he had 25 guys out there that were field maintenance crew guys, I'm telling that's, you. That's that cheap labor, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it, baby. Yeah. And so, like, we, we, <laughs> we used to have rock concerts. And a rock concert, Coach Collins would say, hey, you guys ready to go to a rock concert? And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd be like, all right, everybody, everybody spread out over the infield. We're going to walk this infield. And if there's a rock on the ground, you pick it oh, up. Oh, my goodness. Concert. That is priceless. <laughs> and so, that anyway. That is priceless. We were always working on the field. Um, in the summers, when I was younger, I would work at a little league complex, and I, I, I umpired, and I, I worked on the field too there. And so anyway, I had field maintenance as my background. So I told Todd, like, hey, I know you don't have any money. 
um, as an assistant coach, but you know, if I can find like a maintenance job or a, a field, you know, like maybe I can work at one of the spring training complexes, something like that. I'll figure out how to make ends meet. So two weeks go by, they end up having a, a spot open up on South mountains field maintenance. And, um, I ended up taking that job. It was $9 an hour, no benefits. Uh, and so I was working 4:30 AM to 1:30 PM. And then I would practice from two to five 30 and, and do that every single day. So I was putting in 14 to 16 hour days every day wow. for the first year. Um, but man, like I was going to the baseball field every day. I loved it. And, um, you know, that was one of the biggest, I had no money when I moved out here. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other little things that go into that move, but it was really just taking a risk, man. I, I wanted to be here because I thought I could learn the most and I could, I, I could network the most. And th- those two things are still my North star today. Like every job that I've taken since South mountain, since fall of 2011, um, it, they've been strictly based on, am I going to learn them? Am I going to learn the most here? Am I going to continue to network in this area? Um, and so it, it's led me in a lot of good directions and, uh, but that's how I got South mountain, man. That's, uh, pack my car up, move 17 hours away from home. Yes, yeah. indeed. That's a fantastic story, man. I, and all because I you could hit there. I'm still trying to find a place I could hit at, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got those video games now that, like, the only place I can hit on is MLB The Show. Yeah. Right. I can't swing a baseball bat, but I can swing a golf club. That's about as close as I'm getting to baseball. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier when that ball's not moving, huh? <laughs> Apparently, that's what I get a lot, for, especially from Tyler and Zane. You can ask anybody. I'm the best 5 o'clock cage hitter you'll ever see, man. Still got it. it. Love it. And so, man, bouncing around a little bit, like your story is absolutely fantastic. We'd be remiss not to uh, mention, just because it's just a cultural phenomenon, I'm going to call it that, how you (laughs) go about, you know, landing that Savannah Bananas job. Yeah, so um, it's been awesome working with with that organization, man. Savannah Bananas, it's it's really, really cool. So um, when I moved to South Mountain, this is kind of how I got into summer baseball. I was making no money, you know, and I wanted to continue to learn and grow as a coach. And so I said, hey, I need to go coach summer baseball. So I started coaching summer baseball my first year coaching here. I coached two years in the Myrtle Beach Collegiate League. Um, It's no longer around. Uh, there's some great, great stories that came out of that. It was really unorganized in a lot of ways, I, but it was my first head coaching gig too. And so I got to learn a lot in that setting, um, which was really, really beneficial. And uh, I, I met a lot of great dudes in, in those two years, guys that I still talk to till the, uh, to this day. And so um, after those two years, I wanted to find another place to coach in the summer. And so I was reaching out to the Texas Collegiate League. There was an opening with uh, the Victoria Generals in the Texas Collegiate League. So I was interviewing for that head coaching gig. And I actually got connected with um, a former buddy of mine in Oklahoma. He was the head coach with the Brazos Valley Bombers in the Texas Collegiate League there in College Station. And uh, his name's Kurt Dixon. And so... Uh, I was talking to him. I'm like, Hey man, you know, I'm, uh, we actually played Legion ball against each other. So that's how we knew each other, um, from Oklahoma. Man, so anyway, a, I, sorry to interrupt you. There's a lot of yep. people that don't know about Legion ball. 
<laughs> so that's yeah. what I, I played for the Texas Indians growing up, and that was Legion Ball. But there's a lot of people that don't have any clue what Legion Ball is. Oh man, I, we could sit here I, <laughs> every year at the every year at the ABCA. I've got some of my close buddies that there's they all they do is. We sat around in the hotel room, and everybody says, Gillum, tell all those Legion Ball stories. I, go, I, I said, we might have to keep some of these PG on this podcast because, man, we had we had some fun. We had some really good Legion teams, man. What, what My sophomore year, I think we went – I think we were like 45 and 6 or something like that. And, man, we had some absolute – crazy dude. we ran every weekend we got in trouble every weekend we <laughs> every weekend we were doing something <laughs> stupid but we were really good um but yeah legion ball man that was some of the funnest baseball that i've ever played and kind of going back to 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 the bananas real quick is like a lot of the things that we do with the bananas like it reminds me of playing legion ball in the summer like those are some of the funnest times i ever had playing baseball it was it was loose but it was competitive like we, we were ornery in a lot of ways but we were really good and we had a lot of fun and so that's kind of what the bananas are about too so anyway going back to i coached two years in the myrtle beach league i, I got connected with kurt dixon um who i played legion ball against in high school he's the head coach of the brazos valley bombers and i'm trying to have him help me get this head coaching gig and so um Victoria was kind of dragging their feet and they, the guy I was in the running with getting the head coach job was their former assistant. So I'm like, you know, you know, it's December. They're kind of dragging their feet. I'm assuming they're going to give it, you know, give it to their assistant, but nobody's heard anything. So Kurt's like, you know, Kurt, Kurt's like, Hey Gillum, I tell you what, man, if you know, why don't you just come coach with me, man, you can run the offense coach third base, do all the offensive stuff. He's a pitching guy. So I'm like, you know what? I know it's going to be a great spot. College Station is awesome. They won the championship the year before, and um, it's somebody I know. And so I'm like, you know what? You know, it seems like a right fit. Let's do this. So I go down to College Station with with Kurt Dixon, and um, um, that summer – uh, our other assistant was Clay Cox. So you guys probably know Clay, um, yes, sir. head coach at, at Paris, at Paris Juco there in Texas. And so, um, me and Clay were assistants. Kurt was a head guy and, um, we coached together for three summers and we won three TCL championships. I think we were 133 and 30 That's in three decent. summers. <laughs> yeah, it was all right, man. We had some, we had some awesome players. We had, I mean, I'm telling you, we had so many guys that were really, really fun, talented, competitive. We pretty much broke all the records you could break in, in, in the TCL stolen base records, offensive records, pitching records. And so after that 2016 summer, um, Kurt was taking a pitching job at Southeast Missouri. So he was becoming a D1 coach. He was a JUCO coach at Eastern Oklahoma uh, before that. So he got his opportunity to go coach D1 baseball. And Clay got the uh, assistant job at at Paris. And so he wasn't going to be able to come back in the summer. And so we kind of felt like it was our last two raw with the Bombers. And we were all going to kind of go do something different. So that next summer I decided I was going to go to the Cape Cod. And so I got connected with coach Pickler. I was in the Cape Cod league coaching for one summer. And then, um, my buddy 
who was the first head coach of the Bananas, Sean West. He was there in summers of 2016 and 17. After that 2017 summer, he calls me and he's like, hey, Gillum, I'm about to have another kid. Um, I want to go back and coach with the Bananas, but I'm not going to be able to with having the kid. And so, um, you know, they they wanted to know if I had any recommendations, anybody that was – you know, outgoing, that could think outside of the box, that could talk in front of 5,000 people. Um, you know, they, you, you, you know, they want somebody that's going to be different. And so, um, but they also want somebody that can recruit, recruit everybody in the nation and, and recruit really good players. And so I was like, okay. And so I was like, let me think about it. I wasn't necessarily looking for a head gig at that time. I was actually planning just to go back to the Cape and, um, me and Sean had a couple more conversations, and then I got on the phone with Jesse Cole, the owner of the Bananas, and you know we had a really good conversation. It was we listened to a lot of the same podcasts, we read a lot of the same books, and he kind of spilled his vision and mission of what he was trying to do, and which was make baseball fun and and have the best entertainment entertainment in sports. And so um, I felt like at that time that I've kind of done everything that I could do in summer collegiate baseball. I, I coached in the Cape. We won the regular season in the Cape. You know, I coached in the Texas Collegiate League. We won three TCL championships. And, um, you know, I, I felt like I needed a new challenge at that time. And then also in that same year, 2017, Zane, me and you talked about this a little bit is – I set, I set a goal for 2017. My life goal was to have a positive impact on 1 million people through baseball, education, and exercise. And so um, I felt like the Bananas gig aligned with um, trying to have a positive impact on 1 million people along with um, it was a challenge because we were going to do some entertainment stuff on top of trying to win and dogpile at the end of the year. So um, that was kind of the lineage to get to the bananas. Something that I think is really interesting that you guys might like is, um, how they interview with the bananas is, is different too. Um, well, I, can, I can only imagine. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I've seen all the bits, sure. so like, let's hear this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, to kind of set the foundation of the bananas, the number one quote that I heard before I took the job is, it's normal do the exact opposite so we pretty much live by that so if it's normal do the exact opposite if you do the same thing that everybody else is doing then you're going to get a lot of the same results you got to do things that are that are different and that goes with any business you got to figure out how you're going to stand out and so um, the interview process is they have um, every intern every full-time employee anybody um, when they interview, you have to write a 10 year future resume. So they don't want, you, they don't want what you've done already. They don't really care about that. It's what have you done in the future? What have you, what have you accomplished in wow, 10 years from that's now? So cool. yeah. And so <clears throat> they're trying to align their self with people that can think outside of the box. That can be fun. That can be entertaining um, and think of, you know, a big, big vision, um, perspective of themselves. The other thing that they do is, uh, you have to send in a 15 minute, uh, video 
15 minute video of why you are a good fit for the bananas organization. So I, I give that as advice to all people going into interviews is if you write a future resume of who you want to become, and then you send in a video of yourself saying, Hey, you know, I'm Tyler Gillum. I, I think I'm a good fit for the bananas. These are the three things that I think I'm, I'm great for, or I, I fit um, within the organization, yada, yada, yada. It's basically you just saying, Hey, this is what I look like. Here's my personality. And you know, this is what I'd like to achieve in the future. I think you stand out right away. One thousand right? like, I love that for sure. You know, think about if you're in an interview process and you're competing for that job and there's a hundred people that apply. If you, if you guys have ever hired anybody and you've looked at resumes, like you get absolutely lost in all of these resumes. You're just like, they all look the same. You got to figure out how to stand out. And so if you send in a, if you send in a video, it's got to be a no brainer. Like you're at least getting an interview out, sure. out of the hundred people. Yeah. Um, so, um, that's something that they do with the bananas. That's, that's really unique. They still do that. And, um, I, I think that's what makes them different in a lot of ways. And going back to the, going back to the quote of if it's normal, do the exact opposite. Jesse wrote a book back in 2016, our owner of the bananas. And if you've seen any of our videos and stuff, he's the guy in the yellow suit. So he wears a yellow suit yeah. every single day. And it, it's one of the suits that kind of look like the old Dumb and Dumber suits, right? The blue suit, yeah. the orange suit, <laughs> right? But he's the yellow guy, right? And so he wrote a book called Find Your Yellow Tux, and it's about standing out in the crowd. And uh, I think wow. it's really good in a lot of different ways from a business perspective, but also from an individual perspective of like, um, you know, how do you stand out to get noticed in a lot of ways? And so I think that's really important when you're trying to compete um, you know, for a scholarship or a job or, uh, you know, a girlfriend, whatever it is, how are you going to stand out? Yeah. I got to ask you a question, man. So I read somewhere that the bananas have sold out almost every game and that there's like a waiting list of of thousands of people trying to get out there. So tell me about the crowd, man. What's it like there, dude? It's got to be absolutely unbelievable. Uh, electric factory. It's, uh, it's different, man. Um, so we've sold out 150 straight games dating back to 2016. We've, um, our, uh, sellout for us is 4,000 fans. Uh, we usually average somewhere around like 4,300 for the year, um, in the summer. And so, our stadium is almost a hundred years old. It's Grayson stadium. It's been a minor league affiliate for a bunch of different teams. And there's a lot of history, like Hank Aaron played there. Um, like Greg Maddox, John Smolch, Chipper, all those guys played there. Teddy Roosevelt did a speech there. Uh, So there's a lot of history that's came through there. Um, which is really cool. I think that brings the aura of the whole place. But I think what's what's completely different about our place than any other place in summer collegiate baseball is at 530, um, when the gates open at 530, there's going to be a 1,000 fans lined up outside to get into the gates at 530. Unbelievable. And that, that, it's insane to me. It's insane. Like all of our players are pretty much celebrities in town. Um 
people absolutely love it. Like there's, I've got friends that have come to games and they'll Uber, you know, from their Airbnb to the stadium. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story is the person that was taking them in their Uber to, to the stadium, they all said, Oh my gosh, you're going to a bananas game. That's awesome. Like I've heard they're so fun, but I can never get tickets. Yep. And, and so that's somebody that's living in Savannah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, you know, and this is summer collegiate baseball. And so one thing that makes it really good, like the, the business side of it, the organization, it, it's the LLC name is fans first entertainment. And so we live by that in a lot of ways. It's, um, basically what do fans want when they come to a sporting event and quit doing all the crap that fans hate. And so, um, one thing that they've done is we have a $25 general admission ticket. That's all you can eat. So you get to get in the gate, you go directly to the food line, you get hot dogs, hamburgers, popcorn, water, and soda for free. Right. And then you go set in the grandstands wherever you want. So it's open seating. Incredible. And so so that concept is really, really cool. It makes people show up really early because they're like, I want to get I want to get my food and then I want to get I want to go find the best seat I possibly can get to um, in the grandstands. And so it creates this kind of um, fear of missing out a little bit of like, hey, we got to get there early. And so, um, and then the whole time, like as soon as the gates open, like it's a party the, the entire time we have a 20, 25 piece band. Um, we'll have dudes running around on segways. We call it banana land. So it's a lot like if you guys have ever been to Disneyland. So there's, there's characters everywhere. We have a, we have a little kid that's called the high fiver. He just goes around and high fives everybody. We have the banana nanas. Nice. The banana nanas are our senior citizens dance crew. So they're all 65 years and older. They actually like get together every week and do choreographed dances. Um, and they dance the entire game before, after, in the middle. Um, we've got Jesse running around. We have a host um, that's in a cheetah suit. We've got you name it you name it like there's <laughs> so awesome. many characters um it, it, it's crazy it's insane i know the videos don't do it justice man that i i've just seen everything on there and it just absolutely looks like an amazing place to be yeah a lot of people say it, it it's a circus and then a baseball game breaks right. out yeah and so um clay came to a game clay cox came to a game this past year and he's like man like you you see it on you see it on social media or youtube or whatever he goes but man it's it's just different when you get here it's like there's something going on the entire time there's no downtime it's almost like there's so much going on like i've got to keep my attention on the game sometimes because there's so much happening and that kind of a you know that's jesse's vision you know we talked about you know he was tired of people getting up and leaving at the seventh inning that's it. And, you know, yeah, you know. And there's so much. Like, what have you, you know, taken taken from him? Like, what did, uh, what have you learned from him that, you know, you were talking about all these moves that you've made, that align with your goals. And I can only imagine, you know, working for somebody like him that, that just lined up perfectly. You know, working with somebody with the vision that he has. Yeah, you know, uh, 
I always like people that are just always on the go that are high energy. And, and you know, it's like, you know, me and him probably have it, what makes me and him tick a lot of times is like the next big thing, right? Like, um, you know, the next dog pile for me, the next kid that I can, that I can, you know, um, work with and develop, um, you know, what, like, what's the next thing, you know, I've got, I've got a book coming out in January. I've got an online course coming out. Like my wife tells me all the time, like, Hey, you just need to like sit down and like take a nap or something. Like you need to rest <laughs> sometimes, you know, and, and Jesse's the same way. And so what I take a lot from Jesse is he's very, very, um, organized in a lot of ways. His, his, his schedule's crazy, but he's very disciplined. He runs every morning. He writes 10 ideas down. So a lot of the crazy things that you see on social media is over the last like six, seven years, Jesse has a book where he writes down crazy ideas every single morning. And so, and then we kind of play through those. We have idea paloozas um, as an organization where we either get on Zoom calls or we're, you know, in the office together as a team and we're thinking up different ideas. And so what he's done really is like the discipline of that. I, I think it is pretty cool. Um, his energy to like, let's keep pushing. Let's keep pushing the envelope. Let's keep doing new things. What's the next idea? Um, I think another cool piece is looking at running an organization. He, he hires people and then he, he basically lets them do their job. You know, so for me, example, when he hired me, I, I said, hey, I want to recruit the team. If, if I'm going to be a head coach, um, you know, I want to recruit the team. So if we lose, then it's on me. But I don't want to recruit or I don't want to coach a bunch of kids that I don't know and I didn't recruit. And if I lose, then I'm like, man, you know, what, what's the deal here? So I said, I want to I, I want to recruit all the players. And, um, you know, he was like, absolutely. And so he's let me run in a lot of ways. Like he, he gives me full freedom of running the entire baseball budget, um, recruiting the team. He does it for everybody else. Um, I think that's what's great about the bananas is there's a lot of freedom and not a whole lot of micromanaging within the organization. There's meetings. I, I think what Jesse does great. That's really great is he is constantly talking about the vision and mission and where we're going. That's it. It's, it, he said he says those things so much that everybody's like, yeah, Jesse, we get it. Yeah, Jesse, we get it. You know, but that's what you need to do as a leader. Like you need to continue having that talk and those talks of like, okay, how are we getting here? How are we getting here? What's the story here? Uh, but he lets all those people work. And so that that's a really cool thing. We have, I think it's 22, 22 full-time people now with the bananas. So that's like probably four times as many as, um, a minor league team has. And so, that's fantastic, um, man. yeah, that, that's pretty crazy from that standpoint. But, um, you know, he's always on the go. And I, I think if I take anything with, it, uh, uh, from him, it, it, it's that, um, what is, uh, with, with everything that's going on at those games that I've seen, what has been, what is your favorite bit? What is your favorite thing that, uh, that's happened? What's at, at one of the games, what's your favorite bit? Um, from the entertainment standpoint? Yes, sir. Okay, so so 
to give you a little breakdown, so entertainment starts right at 5.30. So from a baseball perspective, when they, the guys show up to the field every day for a home game at 3 o'clock, when they show up, we have a script that is put up on the board, and it has all the entertainment for the night. It has actually all the baseball and the entertainment. So I put together basically everything that's happening, and then I organize it and put the guys where they need to be. And so we created a motto that was called flip the switch. So flip the switch is basically going from entertainment back to baseball, back to entertainment, back to baseball and a flip of a switch without a loss of enthusiasm or focus. And so what our goal is, is try to entertain as much as we can. And then the next second you might be closing the game. Right, so you might be dancing on the dugout in a YMCA suit, <laughs> and then you have to go get loose, and then you're closing the game. And so, um, uh, the best the best story I can tell you is a guy we had named Alex Deegan, and he's at the University of Kentucky. So he came to us after his freshman year, and he was really green. Um, he didn't pitch a whole lot his freshman year at Kentucky, and when he showed up, his dad, um, his mom and dad brought him. And his dad told me, he said, Hey, like he'll, he'll do everything you ask him to do, but he might be a little bit shy to start. Um, but he'll, he should open up a little bit as you get going. So I was like, okay, so we got a shy guy on our hands. We'll see how this works out in banana land. And so, um, the first game we throw him right into the fire and he has to do, um, the choreographed dance. So every home game, we have four pitchers do a choreographed dance. Well, it's really anybody. It could be anybody, but majority of the time it's pitchers. And so right. we do a chore <laughs> we do a choreographed dance in between um, the uh, in the second inning, in between the top half and the bottom half of the second inning. And so if you guys have seen our dancing first base coach, uh, Maceo, he's, he's, awesome. he's awesome. incredible, yeah. amazing. Dude's unbelievably talented, right? Like if you've seen any of his flips, you're just like, are you kidding me? Like it's crazy. So, um, so just to let the cat out of the bag, like Maceo doesn't know anything about baseball. All right, he he went, okay, he went, he went to school to be um, uh, an like an actor, a dancer. He goes around the country and does choreographed dances for like music videos and stuff like that. So wow. anyway, um, he's our dancing first base coach. And during BP each day, um, like the guys come in, they look at the script. If they're on the dance during the game, then Maceo will teach them a choreographed dance during BP. So these dudes are, like, jacked up. So Alex Deegan gets thrown into the mix. Now, mind you, Al Alex is 6'11". He's huge, oh right? God. So you're not going <laughs> to miss Deegan. He's absolutely huge, right? So um, he gets thrown into the mix or whatever, and, like, he, he comes out of his shell a little bit, and he's like, man, I love this thing. And so he started asking every single night, like, I want to be on the dance. I want to be on the dance. I want to be on the dance. So <laughs> – you know, usually a lot of guys are like, man, I don't want to do that. They get scared, you know. Some of the guys do. And so Deegan was like, hey, I, I want it. And so by the end of that summer, um, Alex would basically do like – he would do the dance in the second inning. 
Um, all the fans, especially the Banana Nanas, the Banana Nanas loved him. They they nicknamed him Alex Dancing Deegan. Nice. Um, awesome. Yeah, and so that was his nickname for the rest of the summer. He he had his own um, dance move called the Dolphin Dive. So he would do this like <laughs> he would do this like I don't know. It looked like a worm kind of thing onto his <laughs> chest, and he's six eleven and huge. So anyway, um, this is kind of his routine. He would do he would do the choreographed dance in the fourth inning. We usually hand out roses to grandmas and little girls in the stands. So he would go do that. Um, in the sixth inning, we'll do the YMCA. So four guys will get on the dugout in the YMCA gear and um, they'll do the YMCA. Um, we'll do banana in the pants where um, one uh, like Deegan would have these big pants on and fans would throw, throw bananas out of the stands and try to make them in his pants. So it's like a competition, <laughs> competition thing. And so he's doing all of these things. And then he would go warm up in the eighth inning and he would close the game in the ninth inning. And he was an all CPL pitcher. He was one of the best relief pitchers in the league his freshman year. And so he would do everything, man. And so that's kind of the, 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 the little piece of it. And like, there's so many funny ones though. Um, There's so many little interesting things. Yeah. Every, Every game, we're trying to come up with something new. So if you're around Jesse, Jesse doesn't want anything to get stale. So we're testing things all the time. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's absolutely brutal. Um, and we're like, okay, that one doesn't work. What's the next one, right? And so, uh, But usually the dance goes really well. The banana the banana nanas dance, like in the uh, – they're in the, like, third, fourth, fifth inning every game. Um, so that one's pretty good. You know, Maceo dancing in the first base box, one inning, um, is always good. You know, there's, there's so many things that happen. Um, one year, one year we had dinner, um, we would have a dinner with a grandma. And so, um, the guys would go, go into the stands and actually uh, one guy would have a steak dinner during the baseball game (laughs) with the grandma. Um, (laughs) We've had grandmas do like a strip tease on some of the players before that got interesting. Um, there's always um, pie. My dad's always funny. So um, Zane, think about your boys, five and eight years old. And you guys go to the first baseline. You're standing there. And basically um, they would say, all right, what, what's your uh, Zane? What's your five-year-old's name? Cohen. Okay. So it'd be like Cohen. All right. Um, here's your choices. You can get a free bananas t-shirt or you can get a chance to pie your dad. What do you want to do? (laughs) He would be like, pie my dad. Yeah. (laughs) And so it goes on the last one. It's a joke, but it's like, all right, Cohen, you get a free vacation anywhere in the world on where you want to go. Would you rather have that or pie your dad? And the kid's like, pie my dad. It's always going to be pie my dad. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, that one's funny. Um, one of the other funny ones is they do is the um, the turtle race, and so the turtle race is um, like six to like nine month year old babies who aren't walking yet, really, or they're really close to walking. Oh my god! And we have a guy put we got a guy in a turtle suit who just lays on the ground and goes really slow, and they try to race to their parents, and they usually like barely move. Uh, we've had some like get up and like start walking a little bit, which was pretty funny. 
Um, but when you come into the game, probably one of the most intriguing ones that people talk about that's a staple every night is a banana baby. So the banana baby is a six-month-year-old kid that is put in a banana suit. And um, basically his mom or dad takes him to home plate and they'll raise him up in front of 4,000 fans. And then all of our players are on a knee kind of in a moon shape in front of the kid. And they're doing like spirit fingers on a knee. (laughs) And the dad holds the kid up and they play the Lion King music. Nice. (laughs) Priceless. And so that, that thing is absolutely wild. Um, There's kids that aren't even born yet that parents call in and say, Hey, my kid's going to be born in June. <laughs> yeah. Can can he be the banana baby? Stuff like that. So that's wild. That's awesome. Awesome, man. I got, I got a couple of questions for you. So okay. I know you got choreography going on, man. What's the self choreography going to look like? When do we, when do we see Tyler Gillum up there dancing, man? Hey, hey, I don't know if you guys saw it though. Back in 2019, me and my wife, um, did a dance off against Maceo in the first base box, and nice. uh, we did we did some two step swing, and I flipped her in front of four thousand fans, and everybody went wild. That's actually on TikTok. So if you get on the bananas TikTok and scroll back to when they first started TikTok, done. I, I was the first one to get a million views wow, on that, dude, that that's dance awesome. video on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So. Um, yeah, we've hit we, we hit a little TikTok uh, dance moves there. Um, we um, I don't know if you guys know, but I wear boots on the field every game. Yep. So that's another unique thing that that happens is I wear boots every game, and so the, um, the, it's the, rock, pers- the rock star and cowboy boots, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it, baby. That's it. We uh, uh, it, it's been funny. You know, there's a lot of little kids that'll show up and they'll you know they'll have their boots on and they'll be decked out and stuff and so that's pretty cool you know you, you notice some kids watching and you know you get a six-year-old that runs up to the fence when you're coaching third base and he's got his boots on he's fired up so that's fantastic, uh, you go over man. get him autograph take a picture and stuff like that so that stuff's pretty cool you know and that's what that's what the bananas is all about man it's um every day what we talk about is creating never forget moments and so you guys probably all have some type of sporting moment that's a never forget moment for you. It's, you know, getting an autograph or, you know, going going with your mom or dad or going with your buddies or, you know, mine was when I was 10 years old, I went to a Tulsa drillers game, minor league game, and I got two broken bats in one game. Like that's something I'll never forget. Right. That's awesome. And you know, my, my other never forget moment is the, Texas all-star game back in 1995, 96, we were in Arlington at the all-star game Mm -hmm. and, uh, Randy Johnson didn't sign my autograph and I've hated Randy Johnson ever (laughs) since then. So, so we're trying to create good, never forget moments, um, every night. So we talk, we actually talked to our players about that at three 50 before we, we go out for BP at three 50 at our home, at our home games. We talk about, Hey, every every banana game is somebody's first banana game so um figure out how you're going to create a never forget moment for them in the stands and for and um create a never forget moment on the field too awesome so my last question for you man is as part of the win big podcast 
if there was one thing that you wanted to leave with the youth of baseball and things that they want to focus on, what would you leave them with? Uh, be where your feet are, man. I, I see that more and more, um, with a lot of young kids, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th graders. And they're so worried about where they're going to school at that young age. And, and they're trying to, you know, do so much social media wise and send so many emails. And, um, you know, the biggest thing that I even tell our guys here at junior college is, you know, I get it. All you guys want to play pro ball and you, all you guys that, you know, you want to get a D one scholarship and, you know, we, we get 10, 12, 14 guys to division one every year, but the best guys that handle the situation and really get those chances are guys that they're just bought into. They're just where they are. They're they're they work hard every single day where their feet are. They're not worried about a lot of other things. It's hey, I'm going to be really good today. Hey, I'm going to make sure I get my weight room in, uh, my lifting in. I'm going to make sure I I, I take you know early ground balls. I'm going to stay after and hit longer than everybody else, and I'm going to take care of my grades and what a lot of kids don't understand is how important those grades are. It's, you know, today in today's world, um, you know, it, it's really competitive trying to play collegiate baseball. So right off the bat, like guys are separating themselves based off if they have good grades or bad grades, you know? Um, and so, especially with our Juco guys, like I have so many guys that have over a three, five GPA and a D one coach calls me and goes, man, that's awesome. I can give them, you know, a 50% scholarship right now academically just based off that 3.5 GPA. And so that's going to help us out because I can give him 50% baseball and 50% academic. Academic, and now they're they're going to school for free, you know. And so wow. that doesn't happen a whole lot at the Division One level. But the biggest thing is be where your feet are, man. Enjoy the moments. Compete with your teams. Compete with your high school teams. Um, be really good where you are, be a great teammate, work hard. So everybody tells those stories, you know, everybody sees all of those little things. Um, and if you're doing all of those things, all those little things, being a good teammate and, and working hard, like things will pay off for you. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely. Now I have one question here. Yep. Um, being that you're at SMCC and then you're with Savannah Bananas and I know you don't, you guys don't do all the crazy stuff at SMCC, of course. But do, yeah. does a lot of that, do you try to, like for your closer, for example, you know, I know he's not going to be dancing on the dugout in the fourth inning, but keeping him loose and maybe does does some of that translate back and forth, maybe not to that extent, but making sure they're loose and making sure they're ready to go instead of just sitting over there for six, seven, eight innings and all of a sudden got to go get warmed up. Is there kind of some sort of translation you take to at the JUCO level? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's unique about the bananas is like, you know, if you think about those pitchers that are relief pitchers, um, what are they usually doing anyway? They're like building sandcastles in the dugout and crushing Red Bulls over their head and like doing, you know, they're doing a bunch of crazy stuff in the dugout. So basically, what we did was we took those guys that were just building sandcastles in the in the bullpen. And we put those guys in the stands to connect with fans. And I think one of the great things with connecting with the fans is, and that place is, like I said, an electric factory. 
Like if you're you're tired, like maybe we played six or seven days in a row. Like those fans give you so much energy, and so I think that's a that's a good thing. And just continuing to move around, continuing to stay locked in, and um, you know when it's your time to go, it's your time to go and get on the mound and compete. And so I do think that's important. Um, one thing that you know because we do interact with the fans a lot with the bananas, I think a lot of people um, kind of try to they ask the question all the time. Can, can you replicate what you do with the bananas at the collegiate level? And you can, you just have to think outside of the box and do things a little bit different. Um, but what we do a lot is we break down the barrier between fans and the players and not very many sports do that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one thing I heard a long time ago, because a lot of people, a lot of people say, Hey, you know, I, I don't like I, I don't like it that you have your players go into the stands and they need to stay in the dugout and stay focused, right? And so, um, one thing I took away a long time ago, or I heard back in 2018, was when Skip Bertman was at LSU, he always said, "Go into the stands and thank everybody for coming to the game and supporting us." And so if they had a doubleheader, he would send he would send those guys out into the stands and make sure they went went and shook everybody's hands. And, I, you know, I don't know this to be a fact, but I, I believe that's probably um, got a lot to do with Alex Box Stadium at LSU having the most fans and probably the craziest fans every single year. They sell out like 10,000 fans a game. Um and I, and I have a good feeling it was from breaking down that barrier and that wall. But, you know, uh, I guess do, back to your original question is um, we try to have our guys move around every every um, even inning. So the second inning, the fourth inning, the sixth inning, the eighth inning, have those guys either do bands or go run a pole, go stretch, something of that nature, just to try to keep those guys locked in um, and getting prepared if they're going to come out of the bullpen. Man, that's fantastic! Hey, so we kind of we kind of glossed over the fact that uh, you know I, I want to be respectful of your time. I got a couple things. No, we're good. We're good. Close off here. Um, tell us more about the 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 book and the infield course, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, yeah, back when I was, we were going to we were flying to Oklahoma um, for Christmas, and. I don't know. We had about two and a half hours on the plane. So I just kind of started jotting some stuff on my notes on my phone. And I ended up coming, you know, I've been reading a lot of children's books basically with my, with Camden. Right. And so I was just like, all right, let me play around with an infield infield book. And so I ended up writing a infield book, uh, a children's book. It's probably age range somewhere between like, two and like eight years old something like that that's probably the target area but a lot of the terminology of the book is some of the same terminology that i use with my infielders now so i like simple i like things that are sticky from a teaching concept i think we all like those as coaches and so the book is an infield book called three up three down the infielder story and it basically takes a kid through stretching playing catch getting ready before the game breaking it out with his team sprinting onto the field um 
going through a complete infield ground ball. So I break down all the nuances of prep step, first step angle, getting behind the ball, eyes glove baseball, catch center power, like all my terminology within catching this ground ball, making it out. And then the last thing that they do before the innings over is they turn a double play. And so, um, and there's some concepts within it that just basically is talking about playing hard, um, being a good teammate, um, and, and having fun playing the game, which I think is important for all young kids. My goal is that kids would read that book at a young age. And then as they go through their junior high, high school and college days, they can still come back to that book and say, you know, some of the things that I continue to do as an infielder, I learned from that book because of the foundation that it gave me from a technique standpoint. So that's three up, three down the infielder story. Um, I, I've actually got my first meeting this week with our publisher and illustrator. I'm hoping that book comes out in, in November, but it's probably going to be more of like a January drop date. So we'll see what happens with that. And then I've got my online infield course coming out. I'm working with coaches insider coaches insider is a, um, video content, a website who they basically do all different types of sports, coaching clinics, video, all of those. And then they have all of that content on their website and people can go on that website and view that content. I'm working with them on creating this infill course. And our goal is to have that out by August 1st. So um, we'll see how that goes. We're chugging along on it and excited about those two things. So just out of curiosity, do you think I could, uh, take your wife, uh, I'd be first in line for that book. Do you think she could take yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, man. I'd, yeah, we could, we could definitely, we could uh, definitely make, we could definitely make that happen. I'll let you be one of the the first previewers of the book. Oh, that's awesome. I know, I, I know I'm going to have to fight her for it, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think I could take her. I'm not sure yet. Hey, she, she's half Puerto Rican, half Italian, so she's pretty damn fighting. So. So, never mind. Yeah. So <laughs> never mind. Luck. Bad idea. I'll be, I'll just be yeah. second. We'll sit, on the, we'll, we'll sit on the bench for that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll just be second then. Um, uh, man, just a couple quick hitters here. Uh, I kind of stole this bit from, from JG, but uh, yeah. what is something, that, uh, something that, you, that you know now that maybe you wish you knew back then? back in the um, early days coaching? Uh, one of the biggest things that I think helps players is I I always thought the coaches were paying attention to every single thing that I did, like every single thing that I did. So that made me nervous in a lot of ways as I was playing. I was always worried about what the co- if the coaches were watching and stuff like that. And so um, as a coach – I know now that like I've got 40 players, 35 players, 30 players, whatever it is at that time. Um, like I've got a lot of things going on, so I don't see everything. And also like, I don't, you know, every mess up or every strikeout or every error, like I don't hold that, you know, I don't hold that dear to my heart. It's not like I, I, every time you make an error, I'm like, Oh, this guy's terrible. He can't catch a ground ball or every time you strike out, Oh, this guy can't hit, you know? And so, um, I always thought that as a player though. And so I, when I became a coach is like, 
you know, it, it's more consistency every day that you're looking for, for players. There's going to be errors. There's going to be strikeouts. It's who's going to be able to show up every single day and compete and who can be the most consistent. So, um, it's not just one thing all the time. So that was probably, that's probably one thing that, um, stood out for me from a player to a coach. That's awesome. Um, what is your, your favorite book, uh, podcast resource? So, man, the podcast that got it started for me was Entree Leadership, Dave Ramsey's podcast. I started listening to that in 2016, and that really changed the game for me um, because I was able to listen to a lot of leaders and connect with some people that I'd never heard of before. Um, now, like, what do I listen to the most? I listen to you know all the baseball podcasts, but... Um, I listen to Joe Rogan the most. Um, yes, sir. Got a shout you out know, to Joe I, Rogan. <laughs> yeah, go Rogan. Like I don't know. I like I like his, his form of his 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 just long form. I'm I'm into long form. I, I like hearing the in depth stories. Um, and he's a really good. He he does a really good job of asking questions. Um, another one's Joe Ferrero, One Percent Better podcast. Joe does a great job yeah, of asking I, I, questions. Oh my gosh, that's and one of so, my favorite too. That's I listen yeah. to that one. I'll go back and one of my favorite ones is the one he does with sheets. Man, I yep. I listen to that one maybe once a week, and I still cry every single time. Just like if it was like the last that the scene in eight seconds or like an old yeller or yep. something. I know it's coming, yet I still cry every yeah. single time. That's it, man. He's riding for Lane now, right? <laughs> that's that, right. That's that. the, exactly. <laughs> I know it's coming, but I'm still gonna. I'm still gonna cry at it. Yeah. But yeah, my that, best friend. We grew up on that movie. That's that's probably my all-time favorite movie. And my best friend. We every time I'd stay, I'd stay the night with him. We'd have to turn it off. He could. He couldn't handle uh, the scene in Cheyenne. Zane, you've probably heard the story. That's the first time I ever saw my dad cry when I was ten years old at the movies watching Eight Seconds. Wow. Um, yeah, that that was a crazy experience for me. That's when I figured out that I didn't want to ride bulls anymore. I just wanted to, <laughs> yeah. So I grew up riding bulls. Or I was riding calves and steers at the time, but my my dad's side of the family they all rodeoed. So I. Uh, you know, I grew up, you know, going to rodeos and riding calves. And anyway, we, we, I think I was like 10, 11, 12, something like that. Um, I think that movie came out in 95, something like that. Yes, sir. Um, maybe 96, yeah. something like that. So anyway, yeah. So we go to the movies. I've never seen my dad cry, you know, and, um, Lane dies in Cheyenne and, and I look over and my dad's crying and I'm like, what in the hell's going on right now? <laughs> yeah. like I was, and so in that moment I decided I would rather get hit by a baseball than horned by a bull. So I, yes, I quit sir. rodeoing that next yep. year. Wow. <laughs> That'll do it real quick. Real quick. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah uh, so book wise, man, like, so I love books, man. I, um, I didn't like books. So for all the young guys that hate, hate reading at a young age, like I didn't like reading books really until, um, you know, I got older and really was reading books that I liked to read. I think the problem was I was reading books in high school that like I didn't care about. Right. The English teacher. Yeah. They were making me read and I'm, and I didn't read them anyway. How to kill um, a mockingbird. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's called read all of those. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, one of my first books 
that I read in high school was Pistol Pete Maravich. So if you guys remember Pistol Pete, like the, that guy was so ahead of his time basketball wise. And then um, one of my favorite reads of his is if you're not yeah. work, if you're not working, someone else is. Yeah. Yep. There you go. <laughs> you know, like. He was he was and one basketball before and one basketball was he around. Was, you know, yeah. he's doing behind the back passes. He and was, he was so, the professor before the professor he, was. He exactly. Well, I was gonna say that, but I didn't know if you'd know that 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 analogy. Oh, I, yeah. I'm all over it, baby. So, uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So you know, you had him, and then I read Pete Rose's book in high school too, and I, I was always a big Pete Rose fan just from the, the how hard he played. You know, um, he always was playing hard. And, um, kind of undersized guy and always having to compete. And so his, his book, his story is really good, but, um, favorite books now from a coaching perspective, from developing talent outliers by Malcolm Gladwell and the talent code by Daniel Coyle. Yes, sir. I think those are two, when you're talking about understanding how to develop people and the 10,000 wow. hour rule yep. and, um, developing environments for them to thrive. Um, from a culture standpoint, I think um, the Energy Bus by John Gordon. I like a lot of John Gordon stuff, yeah, he's but great man. Energy Bus is a big one for me, but um, the Culture Code is a big one, and then Legacy about the All Blacks. Um, so the I, All Blacks New Zealand rugby team. Yes, sir. Those are, those are go to culture Sweep books the for me. Sweep the yep. shed. <laughs> I love that book, yep. man. I absolutely um, love that book. Let's see here. Um, the best recruiting book. I think everybody needs to read this book if if you're just learning to um, really work with people in general. It's uh, an old book called How to How to Win Friends and Influence People. And so, so I read that one. probably about six years ago, and it it really gives you a lot of um, EQ on just how to handle people, how to work with people, how to have conversations. I think every recruiting coordinator in the world should read that book because um, I think it can change a lot of things um, from, the you know, relationship-wise. Yeah, I, w I, w I was given that book actually as a young leader, uh, Leading People. That was a book that I was given, and I think that yep. influenced me a lot uh, to just get people not only to follow along but in order to first their own development and growth, which I think was huge because yep. ultimately, you know, you show me your friends, I'll show me your future type mindset, yep. which was huge. I, it, it changed my whole leadership aspect. It was huge. Agreed. Man, Tyler, man, I think we've taken enough of your time. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on here. Um, how do, uh, how can people reach you? Um, if they want to get in touch with you and maybe find out some more about your book or, you know, some of your, your infield go-tos you said, I want to, I want to throw out a little shout out to you. Uh, I've listened to every podcast that I think that you've been on that I can get my hands on and they're absolutely phenomenal. You are somebody that was on my, when we decided we did the, to do this podcast, it's like, I've got to get this guy on. And you're, I thought, um, uh, you know, you're the rock star in cowboy boots, man. I didn't, I, I threw I threw that message out there. thinking, man, this is my haymaker and just see if I could see if I can land this guy. But, uh, well, I appreciate that, man. That's man. I'm humbled. I'm humbled by that, man. Cause I'm just a normal dude, just like everybody else. And just love playing, you know, coaching baseball and 
listening to country music and being around talking shop with good dudes like you guys. So well, we, man, I, can't, I really appreciate you guys having, having me on yes, talking sir. shop. Yes, sir. We can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, uh, speaking of country music, what, uh, what's your go-to right now? What are, what are we into? Uh, always Cody Johnson. Um, Cody always Johnson. Right, yeah, always Cody Johnson. We got me and my wife got married to Cody Johnson. Speaking of which, um, have you seen his documentary? Yeah, I actually watched it probably about a month ago. It's fantastic. Maybe three weeks ago. It's great. It's, it's fantastic, great, you know? isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome telling the whole story of him growing up riding bulls and his, his group of dudes, and you know, it, it's kind of. It, I think one of his stories that I take away, it's, it's some of the same stories I've seen from other people that have been successful in other areas is, um, sometimes some of the worst things or sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to you is the best thing that ever happened to you. And I think like Cody Johnson's was, you know, he basically was told, you know, he, Hey, he's not good enough to rodeo anymore. Right. And that's what he wanted to do is be the best bull rider. Mm-hmm. and um he just wasn't good enough and um I, he told a story a little bit of like he was wanting to ride in the houston rodeo and he always had that dream of riding in the houston rodeo and he didn't get a chance to and then you know the music career took off and then randomly just from him being available and the story of him singing at the houston rodeo which was a big which was a big kick to his career um you know, he told the story about going, you know, I, I didn't make it as a bull rider, you know, at the Houston rodeo, but you know, I had, I had what it was at a hundred thousand people at the Houston rodeo standing ovation after I was done. And he rode out on the horse. Like that's pretty, that's pretty special story. You know, um, a lot of people For have sure. that same story, you know, like sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to us is also the best thing that that's ever happened to us. Yeah. And, th- and that was the whole premise behind this win big podcast was, you know, everybody has their own success story, and they're they're different, but in a lot of ways they're going to be so similar. Um, and that was just getting those getting those out there and talking with everyone, and that uh, that that's kind of where this all resonated from. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, I, I can't I can't jump off the podcast with you asking country music and, and not saying my first concert was uh, Garth Brooks. Garth when Brooks. I was, when I was five years yes. old, my mom, my mom took me to a Garth Brooks concert at five years old in, in Oklahoma city. And, uh, no better place. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. No better so, place for Garth Brooks. There you go. That's well, awesome. T- Tyler, for, for, for me, uh, I, I will tell you this much. I, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your time on the podcast with us. It, it's been an absolute privilege getting to know a little bit about your story, uh, a little bit about your background, and, and man, I, I couldn't value your time any more than I do right now. It's been an absolute privilege, sir. Well, I appreciate it, guys, man. It's been awesome. And, you know, like I said, I'm humbled, man. Um, you know, anybody, anytime anybody asks me to speak or anything, man, it's it, it's really cool. I like talking shop with you guys and, and just swapping stories and it's kind of like hanging around the campfire so and and that's what um, we that's what we want this to be it's like we're just hanging out in a garage or at a campfire whatever and that that i do appreciate it we really do yeah man it's we, we're literally sitting in the garage right now empty chairs just like you're here so <laughs> well cheers boys yes sir. absolutely yes sir tyler have a good one man good luck uh with everything moving forward uh we're, we'll look, we're looking forward to the book, the infield course, and everything. Um, 
I, I can't thank you enough, buddy. This this means the, the means the world does. Yeah, and hopefully we get to have a chance where you get back on here. Hopefully you have a really successful season. Uh, you know, keep us in the loop and keep us updated. I will, man. You guys stay in touch, and if you need anything or find your way out to Phoenix or Savannah, let me know. Will do, Tony. Will do. Thank you, sir. Till next time, tee it high and let it fly. That's it. See you. See you, buddy. You've been listening to the Win Big Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love your continued support. Head over to Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcast to subscribe and catch us on our next episode.